Please pray with me. Father, we pray now that you would bless and work in the reading and the preaching of your most holy word, that you would soften our hearts and open our minds to receive from you uh, the encouragement and the correction that you have for us, and that you'd form and shape us more and more into the likeness of your son. In his name we pray, amen. I wonder if you've ever met anybody who has a seemingly steady confidence no matter what situation life throws at them. If you've met someone who has a steady hand when all others around them are shaking, more than just being able to control their emotions, I'm talking about somebody who has an ability to see the situation before them for what it really is and where it really fits in the big picture with a deep sense of grounding, a profound trust, a sense of stability. Stability, I think that's probably the right word. Someone who has a unique stability or ballast for life. Ballast is another way we could say it. Ballast is the heavy material that they put in the bottom of a ship or a boat that helps keep it stable in rough seas. And all of us want to be stable, don't we? All of us want ballast for life. One thing is for sure, that life never goes the way that you exactly plan it to go. There are seemingly an endless number of forces trying to destabilize your life. And as you look at the year that has just gone by, you look back and you say, in some ways last year went just the way I thought it would, but in many ways I could have never charted the course that I was actually on because it was different than I thought it would be. And as you look at the year ahead, you say, I hope that 2017 goes this way, but inevitably <laughs> there will be things that surprise you along the way. And some of those things will be wonderful. And some of those things will be very difficult. That's just life, isn't it? It seems like we're never too far away from the next thing that attempts to destabilize us. This morning, we're going to look together at Psalm 62. Psalm 62 is a simple reminder as we enter a new season together, and the message of this psalm can set us on the right course in our personal lives and pour point us towards stability in an ever-shifting world. And so I want to ask you to grab a Bible, open with me to Psalm 62 in that pew Bible in front of you. It's now found on page 479. And as you turn there, let me set the stage. Because if you want to think that your life has been difficult, and many of us have had difficult things over the last number of months, and some of us will experience difficult things in the months ahead, think about King David for a moment. When King David was king. Undoubtedly, there were attempts to overthrow him as king and to take his kingdom. That was the nature of being a king in the ancient world. And one such attempt came from his very own son, a man named Absalom. King David, the great and mighty king over all of Israel, had a self-promoting, power-hungry son that formed a conspiracy to kill him and to take his kingdom as his own. How's that for destabilizing? 
Life is moving along just fine. The kingdom is growing. And then your son, your very own flesh and blood, rebels against you. And 2 Samuel 15 through 18 shows that this was not just some small little spat between father and son in the throne room. Absalom created such a rebellion against his father that King David, the great king of Israel, picked a couple of his closest men and went on the run. And Absalom sent soldiers after him to hunt down his father and to kill him. The kingdom is threatened. Wealth is in jeopardy. The family is torn apart. And David is found. If he is found by the soldiers of his son, he will die. You can only imagine how those realities, compounded by the fact that this whole thing is initiated by his son, his very own flesh and blood who he loves dearly puts him in this predicament. And now he's in a place in life where he has to make a choice. Save his own life, his people, and his kingdom, and by consequence, kill his son, or be killed by his son, but his son is able to live. And that's the predicament that we find ourselves in as we look at Psalm 62. And in it, we see a wonderful example of where do we turn, how do we find stability in life in the midst of difficulty. And this is what David says. He says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. And those of high estate are but a delusion. In the balance they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. Life does not go according to plan. It never does. There will be an ongoing reality of destabilization within your life. And some of this is good. My buddy Josh here had a baby this last year. Josh, is that destabilizing? Absolutely it is. And this is good. Others 
have had very difficult things happen this last year. Health concerns, maybe spiritual attack from Satan himself, relational hurt, or sin in your own life and the consequences of those choices that have destabilized what you thought was a normal life. And that is not good. But in the midst of that, how can you seek to gain stability again when things are uncertain? King David gives us an example. We see in the first section of this psalm, verses 1 through 4, that seeking the person of God, the person of God, results in confidence in this life. Look with me at verse 1. David writes, For God alone my soul waits in silence. Immediately, in his moment of need, it strikes me that David is not seeking results. He's seeking a person. He longs for the person of God because he knows that when the person of God is near, his work will follow, and that results in confidence. Now, how often do we seek the blessings of God without longing actually for the person of God? This is a common temptation for all of us, isn't it? We want God's blessing. We want God's results in our life. And yet, we don't seek his person. And, and one indicator of what is going on there spiritually is that when we don't want our will to bend to God's will, we say, God, just give me these results. When instead, we should be seeking a person. This would be like the people of Israel in the Old Testament wanting the promised land, but not seeking God to dwell in the promised land with them. This would be like the apostles in the early New Testament wanting the foundation and formation of the church without desiring the Holy Spirit to work in and through that church. This would be like the person who wants to be saved by God for the forgiveness of their sins without wanting the person of Jesus in their life in an ongoing fashion. This would be like a person who wants all the benefits of relationship with God without the nearness of God himself. But that is so often the temptation that we fall into, isn't it? We want the God stuff on our terms. We want God's hand. We want him to give us the things that we need when it fits our agenda. We want these things to happen on our own timetables. When it's broken, I want it fixed now. But David says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. He's not asking for results. He's not wanting a combination of God plus other things. He's not giving simple lip service. He's not staying busy and seeing if God will show up. In the core of his being, when things are in the most dire of circumstances, he's waiting for a person he knows that there's no other solution to the predicament that he's in. He understands that the person of God near to him is what he needs. I received an email this week from one of the members of our church and she was telling me about a, 
a, a sudden out of the blue health thing that she's going through. And not knowing that I was preaching on Psalm 62 today, she said, I was reading Psalm 62 and God is teaching me what it means to wait on him alone to show up and help me in my need. That idea of seeking him, but not just him, him alone is predominant in this passage. The Hebrew particle for alone or only is mentioned four times right at the beginning, isn't it? Look at it with me. Look at verse one, for God alone my soul waits. Verse two, he alone is my rock and salvation. Verse five, for God alone my soul, oh my soul wait in silence. Verse six, he only is my rock and salvation. The thrust is clear, especially when we examine our own lives. It's because it's so tempting to seek a variety of other means to put us back on the course that we wanna go, isn't it? We pursue friends or family. We seek advice from counselors. We seek to use our skills or abilities. We seek to leverage our resources. We seek all kinds of things or people to get us back on the right course. And those things are good. God's given you gifts and skills and abilities to navigate the waters of life. And he's given you friends and people in your church family to not only encourage you, but to counsel you when times are hard. And he's given you resources for the sake of good things. But hear this, none of them will provide you ultimate stability in this life. God and God alone is the one who can do that. And so I ask you, are you seeking the person of God as a source of stability in your life? Or are you just seeking his actions? Because his actions proceed from his person. Secondly, are you seeking him alone? <laughs> He's the only one who can provide fully for you. He shows us this in all kinds of ways. First of all, in our salvation, we see in the gospel of Jesus Christ that God and God alone is the means by which we are saved. It is only by his grace through faith in Jesus are we forgiven. It's not Jesus plus anything to make us secure. It's God alone that saves. And there's no person in life, no skill, no amount of money that can provide you on going joy and stability, except for the person of God himself? Are you actively pursuing him? Have you placed your full trust in him? Because as the psalm goes on, we see in verses three and four that there are plenty out there who will take pleasure in falsehood, in evil actions, and hurtful words, but these things can be overcome because God alone provides the stability that we need in this life. When you look forward to verses five through seven, you see that sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that reality. It's one thing to come to church on Sunday to hear a sermon from Psalm 62, and when Sunday afternoon comes and something goes south, you remember it. It's, it's in the back of your mind. Or even maybe by Wednesday, if you've been listening particularly attentively, you remember it. But two weeks from now, when a health concern pops up, when two weeks from now your car gets hit by 
somebody without a driver's license, as somebody was telling me after the first service. What is the disposition of your heart in that moment? What is the default behavior that you often revert back to? Because all of us have a default behavior when things get hard. I wonder what yours is. Think about it for a moment. Some of us, when we have unique stress or difficulty in our life, our default behavior is just to sort of emotionally freak out. Some of us is to use harsh words with people around us to unbridle the tongue in a sense. For some, when things get particularly hard, we just sink within ourselves. We revert, we recoil, and we just wait for it or hope for it all to pass over. Others of us to sort of lower our head and push through. And some of us, our default behavior when things are hard is to engage in some kind of uh, self-indulgent or sinful behavior. You know, these things are going really bad, so I deserve this thing that I want to do or have in a sinful sense. I wonder what your default behavior is. David had some default sinful behaviors. If you know anything about his story, you can see that. And yet, there's something about growing in relationship with God and trust in him and even reminding yourself about who he is that takes the position of default that you're used to going to in your flesh and places it in a much more stable position in the person of God himself. And so look with me. David says in verse 1, he just sort of makes this truth claim. He says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. But by verse 5, he's now talking to himself. He's reminding himself of this reality. He says, For God alone, oh my soul, you, oh my soul, wait in silence. It's almost as if you're reading between the lines and he's saying, in my flesh I want to do any other variety of things, but soul, oh my soul, wait. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and salvation, my fortress, and I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory my mighty rock, my refuge is God. There are times when we need to remind ourselves, God is our rock. He's immovable. He's steady. He's firm. He won't be eroded with the winds of change. And that is particularly comforting in a culture that loves fast-moving change. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 26, a story that we are all fairly well familiar with. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man, a wise man, who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. 
God is our rock. He's our fortress. He's unchanging in his ways. And he also says, David, here, that he is our refuge, verse 7. Now, a refuge is a safe place for someone who's in trouble. You can think of a variety of examples of what that might look like to be a refuge or to have a safe place. One example that I love to go back to again and again is the example of taking your family to the zoo. Because I love to see that the process of discovery in kids and how when kids see animals for the first time up close, something maybe they've seen on TV or in a cartoon, how it just enraptures them, how they engage and, and are marveling. When they come to a lion cage for the first time and they hear that low, deep growl that is much bigger than this size animal. And they're not sure what to do next, and so they just sort of slowly step back. Or when they go to the enclosure that has the gorillas, I remember one time seeing children taunting one of the gorillas, tapping on the glass and making funny motions, and and a gorilla playfully coming up right up to the glass, and a big animal just banging on this thick, glass. I mean, all that separated these little people from this huge gorilla was glass. And as he's banging away, the kids are running and crying in terror. And it was delightful to watch (laughs) as they leapt up into mom's arm and as some of them just sort of slowly backed away with the tears coming down. And you see the parents reassuring them that they were safe, but they didn't believe it in the time. And there's a wonderful analogy to life here because you see again and again and again situations that we are in where we never feel like we're safe. And yet parents are reassuring themselves, they're reassuring their children. Remember the glass. Remember the glass. There is refuge here. You are safe because of the glass. And so when David says that God is his refuge and his fortress, it's really quite an amazing thing to think about. The man is probably in hiding for his life. Men are seeking to kill him. His whole world has suddenly been turned upside down. His thoughts, his emotions, the pain must be profound. Talk about having your stomach tied up in knots or losing sleep at night. You would think that you'd be paralyzed by fear. Or maybe that you would default into that sin of self-indulgence in that moment. But David has learned who God is. And he proclaims it. And he reminds himself of it, that even in the most uncertain situations of life, when God is near, you are safe. When God is near, you are safe. And that doesn't mean that the situation you're in isn't gonna hurt. It doesn't mean that everything is going to work out the way that you think that it should. But it does mean that you will have ultimate safety and security because he's our rock. He's our refuge. He is your salvation 
And so you can have confidence in life. No matter what things look like, you can stand firm. And as verse 8 says, you will not be shaken. God alone provides the stability that we need in this life. And upon proclaiming that and then upon reminding himself of that truth, he then proclaims it to the people that might be tempted to think that other things provide security and safety. And that's where we see this psalm go in verses 8 through 12. God's power is greater than the wealth and the power of the earth. He reminds us in verses 9 and 10 of the contrast of earthly resources compared to God himself. Earthly resources seem powerful and earthly people seem powerful. Maybe even powerful enough to provide us with that ballast for life that we want. But he says in verse 9, those of low estate are but a breath. And those of high estate are but a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Whether it is the most influential person in a society or whether it is the most unknown person in society, he puts them in their proper place. And then he says, you might be tempted to try to find means for yourself to provide security, but he says, don't put your trust in extortion and set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches in your life increase, set not your hearts on them. That is a reminder for us that's especially important for our time, especially important for our celebrity-driven culture, a culture that puts forward to us that if you reach a certain amount of success in life, if you become well-known or famous, if you have a certain amount of wealth, then, then you'll have real security. And yet for as much as our culture loves that idea of fame and celebrity and wealth, we so quickly turn a blind eye to the reality of the situation for so many of those who have it. (laughs) Rampant divorces in Hollywood. Incredible depression and substance abuse. And even as we saw just a couple years ago, a world-famous actor, Robin Williams, one that we would say had incredible gifts, skills, and abilities, had wealth that he could do anything he wanted, had influence in certain spheres if he wanted to exercise it, but was so hopeless and unstable in this life that he took his own life. Now contrast that to the one who looks to God. And when God speaks and when God acts, his true power is on display, verses 11 and 12. And there's a kind of a poetic expression that he gives here, isn't it? He says, once God has spoken and twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. This once I have It's been spoken and twice I've heard this. This is a way of just saying that God reveals his power and his love in an ongoing way. That in the experience of your life and those who have gone before you and those who come after you, God continues to work in power and in love and that is unchanging in its nature. And he does so for those who are his. David's experienced this. 
And many of you have experienced this. When you really recognize the power of God working in a situation, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? It makes you feel tremendously small. And you begin to see how big he really is. It's it's mind-blowing to see a situation that can radically change your whole life for the worse. And yet when God intervenes, you realize that was nothing for him. It's incredibly humbling. And why does he do that? Why would he do any of this for David? And why would he do any of it or draw near to you? Because he loves you. David remembers God's love for him and he expresses it as his steadfast love. The beginning of verse 12. This is a word we've talked about before, steadfast love. It's a Hebrew word, hesed. There's not a great English translation. It's a combination of faithfulness, of love, of loyalty. And the best way we can express that is steadfast love. And this steadfast love is unique to God himself. There's nothing else in the world quite like it. It's a love that he chooses to exercise toward those he favors, regardless of their response. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. And so for Israel in the Old Testament, he sees them through difficulty despite their grumbling because of Hesed, his steadfast love. And for King David, the one that he's made a covenant with, he promises to see him through difficulty, not because David is a great king, not because David has always been a faithful king. We know that he wasn't but because God is a faithful God. And he's unfailing in his love and it's exercised toward those he's in a covenant with. Now for those of you who put your faith in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you have entered into what is called the new covenant and God exercises his hesed toward you. Steadfast, unfailing love but not because you are always faithful to him, though you should be, but because he is always faithful to you. He is your rock. He is your refuge. He is your fortress. He is your salvation. He is powerful, and he loves you. He is the one that we turn to to seek stability in this life. A few years ago, I picked up a new hobby. Some of you know, and I've told stories before, that I really uh, have enjoyed fishing over the years. But a couple years ago, I took fishing to the next level. Shark fishing. And if you've never been shark fishing, you need to try this. It is awesome. It's, it's incredible for all kinds of reasons. It's incredible to wrestle with one of the monsters of the sea. And it's great fun to play pranks on people as well. Like one of the times that after a good day of shark fishing, we had a nice 10-foot shark that just set up on the back of the boat. And so we slowly puttered back into the harbor as people were singing, swimming on the beach. And, 
And the looks on their faces is incredible as they sort of, their eyes get real wide and they kind of look and then they figure out what that is hanging off the side of your boat on the back and it's a big shark. And they say, what, where did you get that? So, oh, just right around the corner over there. <laughs> but don't worry, I'm sure you'll be fine. But one day, after getting up at 3.30 in the morning, getting in the boat with my friend Jim Curtis, taking a two-and-a-half-hour boat ride out into the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, 30 miles south of Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. No land to be seen. All you see is water and birds and hopefully some fish. It's an eerie feeling. And we were fishing for some time, and the seas were kind of rough that day. It was one of those days where Jim and I were both hanging over the side of the boat, <laughs> losing our lunch. But overall, his boat handled those rough seas incredibly well for its size. Why? Because it had ballast. Remember what ballast is? Ballast is that heavy material that they put in the bottom of a boat to keep it stable when the seas are rough. Without ballast, the boat is rocking back and forth. And it can rock back and forth so much so that it could even throw you over the edge or the boat could capsize and sink. But with ballast, a vessel can stay steady and firm even when the seas are rough. On that day, we had finished fishing. The seas were starting to pick up and it was time to fire up the engines and head back toward land. There were still five sharks within view of the boat that were just sort of circling because we had a nice big slick of chum in the water. And I was really thankful for ballast on that day. That as the chop came and the boat began to rock, that we weren't going to go overboard. We were confident in the stability of this vessel. And I began to think about life in that moment and the difficulties that come our way and the people that I knew. And how over the last year or so, there were a lot of people in my experience who had very difficult situations in life. And some of them had incredible ballast for life. And others didn't. What's the difference? The difference is that those who had stability, even in the midst of difficulty, were those who put their faith in the person of God and God alone. He alone provides the stability that we need in this life. And so here's the encouragement. As we go into 2017, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs. God is going to give you some great opportunities both practically and even spiritually, to engage with other people. There's going to be some unknowns that lie ahead that are going to be hard for you. Where do you find stability in those moments? What is the ballast in your life? Psalm 62 tells us that the only thing that can provide us stability is God himself. No skills, no ability, no amount of money, nor your reputation. Not God combined with something else. But God alone provides the stability that we need in this life. And so consider the default response that you often retreat to. <laughs> and begin to remind yourself of this truth. And let trust and faith grow in you as you do. 
Let's pray and ask for help in this, shall we? It's not an easy thing to do on our own. Father, we need to be empowered by your spirit to see clearly and to exercise trust in the midst of difficulty. Help us in this, we pray. Help us to put our ultimate faith and reliance for stability upon you. We ask these things for our own well-being and for the sake of your glory. Amen.